be to God. Welcome. It's good to have all of you here. I know that I saw a couple of graduates walking in here, so I, this is impromptu, but if you're a graduate here, would you stand up? I know I saw Sam and Garrett. Where's Sam? Is he over here? There he is. Good. Is there anybody else besides these two? Man, I recognized all the graduates then this morning. It's awesome. <laughs> hey, congratulations to y'all. Oh, we said something earlier, but congratulations. It's awesome. Sam, I don't know what your GPA was, but I do want to brag on this guy over here. I watched, uh, my cousin graduated from Mobile Christian, and so I was watching online, and I forgot Garrett was even, went to Mobile Christian, was graduating this year, and lo and behold, he was the valedictorian. His average over ninth through 12th grade was 101. Average. Good job, dude. Hey, but good job making it. Good job making it. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm like you. Yeah, I was like, I'm just, you know, what is it? You either graduate uh, summa cum laude or laude cum sum. And I graduated laude cum sum. Anyway, let's jump into our passage because we have very little time. If you remember last week, we were talking about this picture of Jesus being the vine and us the branches. And he gave this illustration to help us understand where we receive our sustenance and where we receive our our, our value, our nurturing, where our fruit literally comes from. So Jesus didn't give that analogy so that we would look and go, oh, I'm not bearing enough fruit. Let me go out there and produce more fruit. No, it's to say, why am I not producing fruit? Let me see what I'm connected to. And to go and connect into something that's vital and real and true. So again, it's not about production. It's not about doing something. It's not about earning your way into anything. It's about being true to that first calling, which was recognizing who we are and how insufficient we are in ourselves and how sufficient, fully sufficient he is and grafting ourselves into that sufficiency. All right, that is what that's all about. Now, I wanna jump into uh, verse nine and verse 10. Uh, verse seven and eight kind of paint this picture of where the father is central to all of this. If you look at the beginning of, of this passage, you look towards the end of it, it is the father that is central to all of this. And there's another thing that's central is this idea of abiding. Now, remember this picture of the vine and the branch grafted into it, Jesus painted this picture that the father is like the vine dresser who is constantly nurturing the branches that are coming off of the vine. The vine doesn't have a problem, but sometimes the branches do. And, and there's this thing that we talked about last week of the difference of being in close proximity to Jesus and being grafted into Jesus. And, and what you can tell is when there isn't a production of fruit, there's, there's a question of what are you grafted into, okay? So that's where it comes back to, it's not that you go out there and try harder, it's that you go back and ask yourself, why am I not producing fruit? What, what is it about my relationship with Jesus that is not allowing that essence of who he is and, and the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through me to produce fruit? And so it is the father who nurtures that vine and the branches. He's walking, he's seeing a lack of production. Maybe sometimes he waters, maybe sometimes he, he gives some shade, and maybe sometimes he has to prune us. But ultimately it comes to this point of, you come to this conclusion, this branch isn't connected. It's in close proximity to the vine. I mean, it even looks like it's connected, but we know it's not connected. How? Because what is flowing through that vine is not flowing into this branch. And so he talks about this picture of it being cut away and taken off and burned in the fire. And so again, close proximity to Jesus is not sufficient to a, for a relationship with Jesus. 
This is what it keeps calling us back to. Now look again as it centers us around this relationship with the Father through Jesus. Look how it continues in verse 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my, what does it say? Love. Not abide in your works. Not abide in your fruit bearing. Abide in my love. So again, the focus isn't, look how much fruit I'm producing. The fruit is, is secondary to what this passage is all about. The fruit is just going, look, there's nothing being produced here. Let me go back and question what's going on here. Let me see what's happening. Let me see what's wrong with my relationship with God. The fruit is just a confirmation of what the branch is grafted into. Okay? It isn't what allows or privileges the grafting. It is just evidence of what we are connected to. Does that make sense? Abide in my love. I love this as this unfolds. Abide in me. May my words abide in you. Again, there's this picture of the vine, the branch, and these things that are so true to our essence flowing and exchanging in between the two. And he reminds us to abide in my love. But look at the first part of verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That is so key. Why? Because as you get into this, in verse 10 especially, if you skip 9 and you go to 10, you're going to come up with some bad theology. Look at what verse 10 says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, the first part of it, 9 kind of situates that and gives us a context. As the Father has loved me, how has the Father loved Jesus? Does the Father love the Son because of the production of fruit? No. Matter of fact, one of the best examples you can get for that is to go back to the Gospels and see how the whole thing begins. It begins with the baptism of Jesus, his ministry. And when he's baptized by John the Baptist at the Jordan River, there is this voice that comes from heaven. And I love this. And when I finally realized this, I can't tell you how much legalism left my soul. The Father says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am, and this is what it says, fully pleased. And the word fully there in the Greek means can't be any more pleased. It means fully. Like there's not, a, there's not room for any more pleasure. I'm fully, 100% pleased. Now, why is that so freeing? Here's why. At that point, Jesus hasn't called one disciple. He hasn't healed one leper. He hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't saved one soul from damnation. He hasn't done anything that the Father has actually sent him to do. And the Father says, I am fully pleased. Jesus spends the rest of his ministry letting those disciples know, do you want to know where the fruit comes from in my life? It's abiding in the fact that I'm already loved. It's abiding in the fact that I'm already fully pleased, or I'm fully pleasing the Father. And, this is and that's what allows me to live in joy and to embrace no matter what the chaos is that I have to walk into, I can have joy in that because I am grafted in. I am receiving the nurturing and the peace and all of the characteristics of the Father because I'm connected in. Over and over again, Jesus keeps reminding them, hey, you think what I'm saying is amazing? I'm just saying what I've heard the Father say. You think what I'm doing is amazing? I just do what I've seen the Father do. He keeps reminding them that I'm just mimicking for you 
where you need to go and find your essence, where you need to find your power, where you need to find your joy. Oh, we live in a society right now that is devoid of a lot of joy. And the reason is a lot of the things that we used to find our joy in have been stripped away. And you know what? That's a good thing because we were kind of pulling from this vine that can't really nurture our souls. And whether we realize it or not, we were becoming weak and frail. Why? Because we were so focused on these small things, these temporary things. And all of a sudden, a pandemic comes along, and we begin to realize, I've put my faith and my hope. I've been garnering my peace and my joy from things that can't be sustained. But your relationship with God can always be sustained, no matter what happens. Jesus didn't find his joy in the production of the disciples. He found his frustration in the production of the disciples, right? But here's the beauty of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How in the world can you take something as ugly and brutal as the cross and assign something as beautiful as joy to walking through it? I'll tell you. Because Jesus said, my joy is completely situated in my relationship with the Father. It's never situated in my circumstances. Therefore, I can literally walk through crucifixion and maintain joy. Why? Because I'm pleasing the Father. Why do you want to please the Father? He's already fully pleased in me. His love for me, his his abiding love, his unconditional love is, is what allows me to connect and allow this flow of the work of his will and the production of fruit. That's what we see in Jesus. Now, again, Jesus is God. Okay, I don't want to separate those things. But part of the reason God comes in the person of Jesus is not just to save the world, but also to provide a demonstration for every one of us of what it looks like for a man to be in relationship with God again. For us as human beings, man, women, whatever, to have a relationship with God and understand what it means to, to find all of your joy and hope and peace and a relationship with God. And that's really the essence of all of these verses here. Look how it continues in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? What did the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am you know what? When you are in relationship with Jesus, do you know that God is fully pleased with you? Do you know that if, if I never preach another sermon the rest of my life, God is fully pleased with me? You know why? Because of my relationship with Jesus. He's not looking at my production. He's not looking at what I'm doing. He's looking at the fact that I am in this relationship and the joy of Jesus has become my own joy. Are you living with joy today? Have you allowed circumstantial situations to rob you of your joy? My question then becomes, and I've had to ask this about myself, where were you getting that joy from that it can be taken away from you? It was, it, it was apparently coming from things that are temporary, and those were never meant to sustain you. They were never meant to fulfill you. The only thing that can make you full is the joy of Jesus. It's the flow because Jesus becomes our connection to the Father. What we lost in the garden, he reunites us with. Verse 10 first sounds like this abiding. 
is directly connected with keeping commandments, doesn't it? Look at it. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That sounds very situational. You do this, then this is going to happen. But here's the thing. There's some things that you really have to pay attention to. Number one is this, my commandments, not the commandments. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, if you keep the commandments, so there, there you're going to go, okay, here's the 10 commandments and I've done this one, I've done this one, I've kept. No, you're no different than the rich young ruler. I've kept all of these. Really, to what standard? <laughs> because you're not going to be able to keep them all. Keeping his commandments. What is his commandments? Well, here's the thing. When you go back up and you understand what he says, this commandment is, in essence, to abide in his love. Don't I need to do this? this? Yeah, those are still all a part of God's character. The difference now is you're not going to that list and going, I need to try harder here. I I need to do better here. No, you don't do that anymore. You know what you do? You keep the Father in your gaze. And the more you keep the Father in your gaze, the more all those things take care of themselves. The Holy Spirit will come in and remind you of things whenever something in your life doesn't fulfill the will of God, when something there needs to be repented of, the Holy Spirit comes in. Now, it doesn't mean we don't love the Word and embrace it and study it. No, we still do. But we don't do it with trepidation and fear, going, have I, have I met all of its requirements? We do it knowing, I haven't met any of them, but Jesus has, and I am in Him. He's in the Father. He's my connection. So I study the word not to please the Father. I study the word to understand the pleasure of the Father because I want to know his character. I want to know who he is. And so when I dig into this and I begin to embrace it and I just ingest it and I let it run around in my mind, it becomes the source, the fuel of joy in my life. These things that I have spoken to you, what has he spoken to them? Hey, y'all are about to go through a difficult time. Hey, one of you's betrayed me. Hey, I'm about to die. Hey, I'm about to leave and go to the Father. I'm gonna send it. I've spoken all of these things to you. Why? That your that my joy may be in you. How is his joy gonna be in us? What did he just tell us? Holy Spirit. I must go because I can send another. And that is going to dwell inside of you. Literally, my joy will dwell in you and your joy will be full. Isn't this beautiful? Uh, Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Now, here's the question we have to ask. What does it mean to be Jesus' friend? Well, here's one thing I want you to understand, and I don't mean this in in a condescending way, but understand that Jesus calls you friend, you don't call him friend. Now, here's what I mean by that. That doesn't mean that you can't say, what a friend we have in Jesus. It's understanding the essence of what he's talking about by friend. This idea of friendship is a benefit. Do you understand that Jesus has no benefit from us? We, We are like the completely spiritually, emotionally bankrupt people. We we are the homeless. We are the ones scattered. We are the ones who are 
prisoners of a spiritual war. We have given ourselves over to a dictator in the spiritual realm. We'd have nothing to offer him. Jesus, when he says, I have called you friends, don't miss that. That is significant. It's not like we met in Walmart and it's like, hey, we got a lot of stuff in common, don't we? Let's be friends. No, it's like we were far off and he came and found us. And even though he had no benefit, he said, I want you to benefit from who I am. That's a friend. A friend is someone there's this benefit that you receive. And he says, no longer do I call you slaves. No longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. Verse 12, if you notice, is pretty easy to accept. But 13 is a little more difficult. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. I would think to myself, what about someone who lays down their life for their enemies? Wouldn't that be a greater love than someone who lays down their... Because Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. He says, for while we were still weak, the apostle Paul says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here's the difference. You have to understand there's two different perspectives of this substitutionary death. Paul is is really highlighting the aspect that when Christ died for us, we were far away. We had nothing to offer. He literally gave his life for those who were enemies of his, those who had embraced darkness. John's not talking about that. John's talking about this, this value of friendship. It's like if me, or, me and you are friends, and I say to you, you know, here's a cup of water. We're friends. I want to share something with you. And that could be a great gesture, especially you've been running or something like that, or you're just thirsty or dehydrated. A cup of water is a beautiful picture of friendship. Jesus says, I'm giving my life, pouring out my blood. Do you see the difference in those two? So it's like if you were to think about, it's not the depth of God's love because it does reach sinners and those who are, who are enemies of his. But he's talking to his disciples and he's saying to them who have been following them, he owes them nothing. I mean, he's given them three years of demonstrating them what it means to be in relationship with the Father. The most profound teachings they've ever heard in their life. They've seen miracles they will never, ever see again in the, in the aspect of seeing God dwelling in human form in front of them. Jesus owes them nothing more. <clears throat> but what does he do? I call you friends, and I'm going to show you how I demonstrate my friendship. I'm not just going to give you a picture of heaven. I'm going to give you heaven. And the way I'm going to give it to you is pouring out my own life. Now, there's very interesting language here when you get into uh, verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, that's interesting language, isn't it? It's interesting because it looks like there's this cause and effect. If you do what I command you, then I'm going to call you my friend, and then you'll benefit from my love and my sacrifice. And that really sounds, sounds like what we've got to do is come in, and we've got to keep these commandments and do everything that he's called us to do. And then if we do those things right, then we will benefit from a friendship with Jesus. 
But there's two ways of looking at that, and the other way is very important. And this is a poor illustration, but it is really all I could come up with this morning, okay? Let's say that there is this really pretty girl at school. Here's the thing. Let's say we know that girl has high standards. She wants someone who is good-looking, who is extremely successful, and is wealthy, okay? There's two ways of looking. If you saw a person like me, not that I'm not handsome, but I'm not probably the most handsome, right? And you saw me with someone like that, like as, as, you would sit there and say, hmm, he must have something, right? He, he, must have, he must have money. He must have, because the evidence of the relationship is there must be something else there, okay? Here's what I mean by that. Let me give you a different illustration. Let's say that, um, let's say the military, let's say that the military wants you because you are strong and powerful, okay? So that is cause and effect in the sense that because you are strong, you have something to offer them. All right, let's give a different illustration. Let's say that you go to the doctor with a disease and he gave you some medication. And when you come back, he asks you, what have you been feeling? And you begin to describe to him what you've been feeling. He goes, that's awesome. That means the medication's working. That's an effect where the cause has already happened. Do you see the difference in that? One of them, the cause precedes the effect, and one of them, the effect precedes the cause. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the second part of that. And the reason I can tell you that with great confidence is if you look back to verse 12. Look at what it says in verse 12. See if there's anything there that indicates to you that this was the second. In other words, there's something that's already happened that is showing itself. This is my commandment that you love one another. How? As you have already been loved is the way it says that. So in other words, you're not there trying to love other people and love the marginalized and love the hurting and love the homeless so that somehow God will be pleased with you and he will love you. No, you are already fully loved, therefore you love in full. You see, it's a cause and effect, but it's a reverse relationship. The evidence of the fruit is not, I've got to produce some fruit so that I can be in the vine. No, the fruit is a picture of whether you're in the vine or not. And he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. What does it mean to be Jesus' friend? What does it really mean to embrace that truth? What does it mean? Well, I think that as this passage unfolds, you see that friendship and you see the results of that. That's what he's talking about there. Keeping my commandments. What's the command? The command is abide, abide. When you abide in me, these things are gonna happen. What does abiding take on our part? I gotta try harder. I gotta be better to abide. No, abiding is resting. It's remaining. It's staying connected. It's what Jesus demonstrated for all of us, all of his power, all of the glory that Jesus lived for. It was for the Father. He, he sent it all there. He said, listen, I live for the glory of the Father. I don't live for my own glory. Jesus avoided crowds. He avoided popularity. 
But yet, when you saw the demonstration of power in his life, it was because he was so connected to the Father. Now he's saying, just as you've seen that, I want you to be grafted into me. And fruit will come from that. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. That's odd, isn't it? You know, think about this. Would you talk to a friend like that? Would you say, well, I call you friend as long as I, you do everything I tell you to do. I mean, who wants a friend like that? But here's something that's very different. This is not your normal friendship. He calls us friends because there is this benefit from this friendship. Number one, the first thing we see is that we are <clears throat> loved with this amazing love. Are we not? I mean, is the most, you are friends. If you do what I command, no longer do I call you servants. This is an amazing love where we've been welcomed in, brought into the family, adopted as sons and daughters. And the second thing we see there is that we obey. Again, this friendship is not reciprocal. We don't go, oh, Jesus, I got something to offer you. Hey, you want to be friends? No, we, we are on the outside. It is Jesus who comes to us and embraces us and befriends us. And he says, no longer are you slaves. No longer will you be kept in the dark. Here's the truth. He says, what is going to abide in you? My words. Do you know why Jesus knew what was going to happen in the next few hours? Because the Father told him. Jesus was never in the dark about what his life was about. Jesus was never in the dark about what the mission of his life was. You know why? Because he had a connection with the Father. And he's now saying to his disciples, just as the Father never left me in the dark, I'm not going to leave you in the dark. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to show you the way. He's going to give you the confidence it takes to walk. As you walk through chaos, he's going to be there. Look at verse 16 and 17. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I have commanded you so that you will what? That you will love one another. Verse 16 starts with this very important clarification on Jesus' part. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, I, I started this, Jesus says, not you. I'm going to get you through this, not you. But not only were you chosen, but this makes it very evident that you were chosen for an intentional purpose, appointed that you should go and bear fruit. In verse 16, there's this very clear sequence and flow. Again, the sequence that we find in Jesus' words can't be overemphasized because they bring clarity to how we are to understand this passage. It's not a you-me, it's a me-you from Jesus' perspective. It's not something you've done, so I'm going to do this for you. It's something I've already done for you. Now, in return, this is how you will respond. But notice the last part of this verse in verse 16. And that your fruit should abide... So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Here's a question I asked of this. How does fruit abide? And what exactly does fruit abide in? I think this really gives clarity to understand that abiding has nothing to do with striving. You ever seen an apple going, oh, I've got to hold on. Oh, I don't want to let go. My arms are getting so tired. But I know if I fall to the ground, this all thing's going to fall apart. No, a fruit abides by just living out its character, 
living out what it was created to do. That's the same way that we abide in Christ. We rest in him. We enjoy, we experience what he has for us. You know what? That's a good word for us today, isn't it? Remain, remain. Whatever's going on, whatever you're going through, this crisis that we all walk through, remain, stay, don't leave, don't walk away, don't look for the first way out or the easiest way out. Now listen, I'm not talking about someone who's in an abusive relationship. There, there are things that you cannot stay in and you've got to step out and go get help. But I think you understand the context that I'm giving you. When things get difficult, just don't wish those things away, but say, God, what is it you have for me in this? You know, oftentimes in the church, our biggest problem is that we walk away too soon. And that's what creates our heartache. And heartache is so central to the human experience. I mean, spouses leave, girlfriends leave, boyfriends leave, parents leave, church members leave, pastors leave, staff members leave. Friends leave. And what is shockingly sad about this is that most people leave at the approximate moment that God has really prepared them to begin to bear fruit. But they say to themselves, this is too painful. I'm going to walk away and find something better. And their most productive fruit-bearing years, they never experience because they keep going from one situation to another. And when it gets difficult, they just leave. I want you to understand something. What we have been studying over this long period of time is actually happening over a short period of time. I want you to see where this private teaching of Jesus, this is the, just for the ears of his disciples. I want you to see where this ends. I want you to look forward with us a few weeks down the road when we get to it, but this is just a few moments for them. John chapter 13 is where all this started. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How will they know you're disciples? Because there's fruit in your life that demonstrates you're connected to me. And then look where it's going, John 16, verse 32. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be, what does it say? Each to his what? Sound applicable today? And will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I want you to know in your isolation through this pandemic, as you've been sitting in your house, you've not been alone. I don't know how alone you felt, but you're not alone. The question you have to ask yourself is, why did I feel alone? Verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have what? We need some of that. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have pandemics. You will have desertion. You will have disease. You will have bankruptcy. You will have disappointment. You will have heartbreak. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Rest in me. Rest in my words. Let them flow through you and let them bring you peace and joy. Amen? Let's stand and worship.